Do what? I did. Yeah, it should all be set and ready to just hit the stream button. Did it turn red? Okay. Uh, let's go to Second Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start there. <clears throat> and a very familiar passage, verse number 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And uh, so I'm going to start with this verse. It's an odd verse to begin uh, uh, a study on prophecy in. <clears throat> but I want us to understand that we don't just study prophecy for the sake of <clears throat> just um, it's interesting. I, I know a lot of times people say, oh, that, that prophecy is so interesting, Pastor. Um, it is profitable. It's not just interesting. It's profitable to us. And it's profitable in the areas that Paul speaks to Timothy here about. And it's profitable for the area of doctrine. It's profitable for the area of reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. And so it's very important that we understand as we come to Scripture uh, to study prophecy that we know why we are studying it. If all we're doing is saying, Pastor, I just want to know that's interesting. I, I think it's wonderful and I just uh, I like to I like to read about that kind of stuff, then we are missing the purpose of studying prophecy. So I want us to go over some things and uh, talk about very quickly the purpose of why should we study Bible prophecy. I, there are two biblical reasons that are given. There is a third one that is um, given from Scripture uh, that tells us what we benefit from it. Uh, but I do want us to understand these things. So if you will take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, because I don't want to give you my purpose for Bible studying uh, or studying prophecy. I want to give you the biblical reason for studying prophecy. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and Paul is dealing here with end times events. He begins in verse 13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And he begins right there telling us, There is going to come a time where the Lord is going to return. And so he's beginning to speak of end-time events here. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, this isn't Paul's thoughts, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And these are exciting words for us to read. But Paul finishes this, this uh, little discourse here about the end time events with this, with this phrase. Wherefore, in other words, because of all of this, wherefore, what's the next word here? Comfort one another with these words. Why did God give us comfort, or prophecy? He gave it to us to help comfort our hearts when we saw the events of the world beginning to take place, that we would not be sitting here wondering what the future held. You and I, as God's children, know what the Bible teaches about end-time events. And over the next several months, we're going to be studying in-depth and seeing some of the things that God has in store for the end time. And can I tell you this? It is a great comfort to me when I begin to read about uh, some of the uh, things and some of the wrath that God pours out on sin in the revelation uh, uh, that is in the, uh, uh, the Bible, I'm thankful and it's a great comfort to me to know that I'm not going to be here and I'm not going to go through those things. 
Those are of great comfort to me. It's of great comfort to me to know that God is going to come back and He's going to take us out of here. And we are going to, the Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We don't ever have to come back to a place and, and be under the, the bondage of sin again and be under the, uh, the, the trials that this life so often gives to us. Look in John chapter number 14, and we'll see another reason here. John chapter number 14. In John chapter 14, in verse number 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He makes this statement. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God has never lied yet, has He? If God ever lied, you and I would be the first ones to know it, because He would cease to be God, and we would cease to exist. He does not lie. He says He's gone to prepare a place for us. And if He's gone to prepare a place for us, He says, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I love the first part of verse number 1. If you have a pen, you ought to underline these words. Let not your heart, what? Be troubled. Why do we study prophecy? So that we can have the comfort of Scriptures. That we can have that peace. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 15. Because we begin to see and we begin to contrast. And this is something I think that I, that I think sometimes we don't maybe put together, we don't think about very often. I love preaching and talking about God's love and His grace. I love teaching on the things of forgiveness and mercy. And I get excited. I'll be real frank with you. Uh, you come here uh, many many services, you're going to hear me preach on those subjects. Because I'm thankful, and I, I still cannot get over the fact that God loved us, and the extent of God's love, the extent of God's grace, the extent, it's, it's, in, it's infinite. It has no limits. And we talk about this in, in the broad sense of His love and His grace and His mercy, and how limitless it is, and we amen that, and we rejoice in it, and our hearts are stirred by it. But then we get to Revelation, and we understand something else about God. God is also a just God. God is also a God that has to take out a wrath on sin. And as much as He loves, and as much as He is long-suffering, and as much as He is offered freely to every man, His mercy and His grace, and as inexhaustible as that is, we find as we study prophecy, we understand revelation, that as strong as God is in the area of salvation, He is also that strong and infinite in the area of wrath and judgment. And it causes us to understand this balance, this contrast, if you will, between a loving God who comes to every man and says, I have to judge sin. It's part of who I am. I wouldn't be God if I didn't judge it. But I don't want you to have to go through it. So I've made a way. I've loved you enough. I've given you mercy. I've given you grace. And I want you to come to me. And if, we don't, if we're not careful, we'll focus only on that aspect of it. And we'll never understand what, what could have been. What would have happened had we not trusted Christ as our Savior? What is in store for those who don't? Look with me in Romans chapter number 15 and verse number 4. The Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our what? Learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We've read these things that the... Old Testament prophets have written. We've read these things that John has written in Revelation. We've read these things that Paul has written. 
They bring us comfort. They help us understand the end times. And so when we come to Scripture and we understand that they're studying Scripture, uh, they're studying a prophecy has a purpose, it helps us a little bit as we look into Scripture. We don't just come and enjoy the teaching. We come to gain some hope. We come to gain some strengthening of our faith. We come to get some comfort from God's Word. The second reason that it is given to us is, number one, it's given to us for our comfort. Number two, it's given to us for our discomfort. You say, Brother Craig, that's, that's contradictory. No, I want you to understand something. It's given to us to help us to have comfort in the area that we're not going to go through this. But it also ought to bring a discomfort to us in the area of our service for Him. Notice as we get to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. We consider this to be the faith chapter, and I love this chapter. But as we get down to verse number 7, we hear a little bit about Noah. Look what it says about him in verse number 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, yet, notice this, moved with what? He was warned of God of things not seen. That's prophecy. What did it cause for Noah? Oh, Noah had peace, didn't he? He had peace in his heart because God had made a way for him to get on a boat and on an ark and escape his punishment. Why does the book of Hebrews tell us that he had fear? That he was moved with fear. Can I encourage you in this? Noah was not fearful for himself. Noah was fearful for those that were needing to come to God and repent. It's written for our comfort. Can I tell you this? It's also written for our discomfort. It ought to be there to help motivate and open our eyes to those that still have not heard the gospel. Those that are still in the need of being saved. Notice this in verse number 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Can I encourage you in this thing when it comes to the thing of Revelation and the studying of prophecy? And by the way, we're going to be looking at several areas of Scripture, not just Revelation, but, but Revelation will be primarily where we, where we come. It ought, to, it ought to be for the purpose of giving you and I great comfort. But it also ought to be the source of giving you and I great discomfort in the area of our service for Him. Are we doing enough? Are we reaching our friends? Are we reaching our neighbors? Are we reaching our families? Are we sharing the gospel everywhere that we can? Are we trying to point men to Christ? I want us to go to Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to give a few introductory remarks tonight. We're going to deal with the first three verses of Revelation, which I believe are very much introductory remarks. We now make it to all three of them tonight. And then I want to give you tonight several rules that will help us when we read and study prophecy, some general rules that we follow uh, to try to help us understand it better. And these are going to be the rules that we're going to try to adhere to as we go through the book of Revelation. I will tell you this, there are men out there that have studied prophecy. They've made their whole ministries about prophecy and are far better and, and more versed in this than I am as your pastor. But I love the subject. I really do. And we will strive with every ounce of our fiber of our being to be right and biblical in our understanding of prophecy. 
And we won't be rushing through it. We'll be taking our time, make sure that we get all that God has for us. But um, if you have your Bibles, uh, what is the title of this book at the very top? What does your Bible say? Revelation of St. John the Divine, doesn't it? The problem is that's not what God calls it. <laughs> Look with me in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1. Let's see what the Bible says. The revelation of what? Of Jesus Christ. This isn't John's revelation. John was just the instrument used to pen it. This is something that is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not to reveal Christ to us, although we do have Christ seen in here quite often, but for Him to reveal to us what the plan of God the Father is. Notice what it says in verse number 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him, to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John. Now, I'm going to give uh, several questions here and answers. And uh, there's a ton in verse number 1. I mean, we could spend an entire... We may end up spending an entire service on just verse 1. But the first one is, whose revelation is it? It's the Lord's revelation, isn't it? It's Jesus Christ's revelation. It's not John's revelation. And by the way, it's not revelations. There's not many of them. There's just one, okay? God is giving us the revelation that He intends for you and I to have. Here's an interesting thought. We're going to be looking at several other books as we go through this. We'll be looking into Daniel, uh, some into Ezekiel. We'll be looking uh, in a couple of different uh, areas. There are a couple other small prophetic books that we'll be looking at um, uh, with uh, regards to uh, how it ties in with Revelation. And uh, it's interesting that when Daniel went through his vision and he was being shown prophecy of end-time events... That the angel told him, he said, I want you to shut these things up and seal them in a book. And then we get to Revelation, and the first thing that happens is John's in heaven, and they bring the book that is sealed, and they open the book. And an interesting thought that God is now revealing at this time, the things that maybe perhaps He had told Daniel, you you can't tell him that yet, it's not time. But uh, now has been revealed to us, I believe. But uh, the revelation is the Lord's revelation. It's given to Christ by the Father. Isn't that an interesting thought? The Godhead, all the, all the Godhead is, is one God. And this is one of those things that our minds have a difficult time wrapping around because we can't quite understand fully a triune God who are three distinct persons and yet one. And uh, to understand that even Christ said, no man knows the day or the hour, only the Father. And uh, the fact that only God knows when the time is going to be that uh, that that the uh, return of the Lord is going to come and the rapture of the church will take place and those that are uh, Christians will take place. And so it's given to him by God. It was given to Christ by God to give to us. And uh, then who is it written to? Well, let's look in that. Verse, verse 1. To show unto who? His servants. Why? Because his servants need comfort. Could you imagine if these things began to happen and we had no idea what the future held? There's a great peace that we have as we look at the world events. Now, we're frustrated, no doubt. How many of you are frustrated with current events? I am. How many of you complain about current events? I do. (laughs) Uh, We do, don't we? We don't like it. But I'll be real frank with you. I haven't lost an ounce of sleep over it. Because I am grateful that I know the end of the book. I know what happens, and I know I'm not going to be here for all that. Now, there may come some worse times. There may come some times that we have to pay a price. But I'm thankful I'm not going to be here for this great tribulation, this great wrath of God poured out on the sin of men. 
So we're going to look at these things uh, through Scripture. Why was it written to the believers? Why was it given to us? Verse number 1, to show unto the servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Notice the word must here. I like this. The certainty of Christ's coming is, is just understood from Revelation, isn't it? They don't even, they don't even discuss about is he coming back. They, they just make it a statement of fact. It's happening. By the way, uh, when John spoke about it, or Jesus, uh, uh, John wrote Jesus speaking about it in John chapter 14, uh, he said, if I, uh, go and prepare a place for you, he says this, I will come again. The certainty of his coming. Uh, you, you can say, well, he's been 2,000 years. I just don't know if he's coming or not. Oh, you can rest assured. He is coming. He is coming. In verse number one, he says that he did these things to show unto his servants things which must, they must shortly come to pass. I want you to notice also not only the uh, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I was talking with, uh, I was talking with, uh, my aunt and uncle out in Albuquerque, New Mexico today. And uh, we were talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, you know, it's getting to the place anymore where there's a lot of days that go by. I lay down at night and I'm disappointed that He didn't come today. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It can happen at any time. There are people out there that say, well, no, He can't come until this happens or that happens. Can I tell you this? God can come when He chooses. And I'm looking forward to that. His imminent return. He's going to come. John looked at it because of the way that, that oftentimes the men who prophesied these things viewed time. Uh, they did not always know how long it would be before these things would take place. They just knew that they were going to take place. And he makes this statement, which must shortly, shortly come to pass. Can I tell you this? Not only is his certainty of his coming, but he's coming soon. He is coming soon. If you and I look around at the world we're living in today, there is no doubt in our minds He's coming soon. There's no doubt. There was a song written that way years ago. He said, I'm going to leave this world with a shout. I'm looking forward to that day. And then I want you to notice, he tells us who the author is in verse number 1. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So he sends this angel, and we're not sure who the angel was specifically at this point. Uh, but we do know God sends this angel to, to tell God these, or to tell John these things. And so John is the human author. John is the one who penned these words. And we talked a little bit about him, uh, last Sunday in dealing with, uh, some things there. And, uh, he signified, he, the Bible says that the angel was sent and, notice the word here, signified. If you have a pen, you ought to underline that word, signified. So he sent, and signified. In other words, he showed these things. John saw them. Not just being told, but John saw some things. And so John bears record. Look at verse number 2. Who bear record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So there's three things that John is going to do as he uh, starts to pen this book. There are three things that he's going to be doing. Number one, he's going to be drawing from the Word of God that he already has. He's going to be drawing from um, some other prophets prior to him. There are going to be some things, and so the Bible says here that he bears record of the Word of God, number one, the things that he already had in his hand. He's going to bear record of the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
So the things that John, could you imagine? <laughs> the things that John personally, in person, face to face, heard the Lord Jesus Christ tell him. Could you imagine hearing prophecy from Christ Himself? Him telling you what He's going to do? Oh my, He shares that. And then He says this, And of all things that He, what? Saw. So John's going to do the best he can to put it all out there and make it as clear as he can possibly make it. The purpose of Revelation is not to confuse us. It was not written to be a dark passage or something we can't understand. It was written so that we could understand. It was written based on the things that had already been prophesied, the things that he had personally heard the Lord Jesus Christ say, and the things that this angel signified to him that he saw firsthand. Again, this isn't something John is making up. These are things that he has had firsthand account of. And very, very important that we understand the things that we're going to be reading uh, are going to be very important to us to understand that this is not John's, you know, novel that he's writing. These are legitimate things that John firsthand had knowledge of. All right? Uh, let's look in verse number 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy... And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is what? At hand. That means it can happen at any moment. Um, there are some, I, I like shooting guns, alright? Uh, there are some guns that you just pull the trigger and the, the hammer comes back and fires forward. And then there are other guns that you have to pull the hammer back and make sure it's cocked and then you pull the trigger. Can I tell you this? The hammer's already back and cocked. The only thing that has to happen for the Lord to come back is for Him to say, let's go. We're there. There is nothing left. The time is at hand. And that is a great comfort to us, isn't it? But it's also a great discomfort to us. I told people, I talked to my mom about this quite a bit. I said, Mom, I'm so looking forward to Him coming. But my heart is so sorrowful over how many people still do not know Him that have rejected Him, that have turned Him away. And it brings great comfort, and it brings great discomfort, doesn't it? That's the purpose of, of prophecy. It ought to bring great comfort to our hearts. It ought to bring great motivation to us. I'm going to give you several things. I don't know how many of these I've got. Uh, uh, I don't know, 75 or so rules. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have quite that many. But I've got a, uh, several here uh, that are, are just kind of general rules of thumb to live by uh, as we study Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel, some of these other prophets that deal with end-time events. There are several rules of thumb we want to go by. I will say this, a lot of these rules, if not all of them, apply to pretty much general Bible understanding. It doesn't have to be prophecy. It could be anything in Scripture. And if you always want to know, well, how do I study Scripture? How do I know what it's saying? These, all these rules, as far as I know, can easily be applied to studying Scripture. How do I go about studying the Bible? How do I learn these things? So if you want to write some of these down, you're not going to bother me by taking notes. Feel free to do that. Uh, I don't mind even taking and, and running off my notes here and handing them out to you. I can give those to you next Wednesday, make copies of them if you'd like. Um, if you just want to listen now and, and get those later, I'll be glad to hand you a copy of what I'm teaching from. Um, let's start with rule number one. 
There, uh, actually, I'll give you the first three rules of interpreting Scripture, all right? We're going to give them to you all at one time. You ready? Number one, context. Rule number one, make sure it is in context. Rule number two, make sure it is in context. And you know what the third rule is? Make sure it is in context. Why? Because that is one of the most important rules that there is. Now, I use that to emphasize what our side of it is. But can I tell you the greatest rule that we have to follow is this, that we need to begin, we need to continue in, and we need to end our study of, of any Scripture, but especially prophecy, by praying and asking for the Holy Spirit to give great insight and understanding. There is no substitute than to have the author of this book help instruct us in our hearts. There, there's, no, there's no substitute. I, I've read a lot of books on prophecy. I've read a lot of men's opinions on prophecy. There is no substitute for the Holy Spirit helping to draw illumination and understanding to His own Word. And so we need to begin, continue in as we study, and end in prayer saying, Lord, help me. Help your, help your Holy Spirit to help me understand and to guide me in the study. So then the next rules were context, context, context. So let me, I'm going to give you several questions that I think are important in understanding context. And uh, these would go under that rule of context. Uh, number one, I would always ask, what is the setting that this is taking place in or the occasion? What, what's taking place at this point? What's happening at that point in time, when, when this particular thing that I'm trying to understand takes place. I need to know a little bit about the times that it's happening in. What's, what's going on? What, what's the, the temperature of society of the day? What's the, the government situation like? What's the religious temperature of the nation like? These are things that are important to us to know. Uh, secondly, who are the key people or groups that are involved in this? Who are the key people that are involved in this or, or groups? And that's not just who it's being done to, but who's doing it also. Uh, those would be key characters, key people. Write them down. Put them in a notebook as you're studying. This is a key character in this. They're, this is important. Um, number uh, number four, what, what is being done? What, what's happening here? Put it in a, a small frame and say this is what's taking place. These are the events that are taking place. Number four, is it literal or symbolic in description? All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit because when we come to prophecy, it's very, very important that we understand literal things are literal, but symbolic things are symbolic. That's a very profound statement, isn't it? Y'all didn't know that, did you? Literal things are literal, symbolic things are symbolic, and you need to be able to, to distinguish the difference. All right, we'll talk a little bit about how you can do that a little bit further down in, these, in this list. Uh, number whatever we're on here as far as questions under context, where is it happening? What's the location? Uh, what what country is it in? What what's the 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 the, the place, the location that's happening, and when is it happening? Uh, I will say this: prophecy, especially as we get into Revelation, prophecy often, and and this is not new, just exclusively to prophecy. If you take time to go back and even read Genesis, the first three chapters, you'll find that this process is used in that uh, the writer will go forward and give a high level overview of things. And then in the following chapter, he'll come back and say, okay, now I'm going to put a focus on this portion of what I just described. So understand that not everything in Revelation is chronological from chapter 3 to the end of chapter 22. 
some things move ahead and give us a quick, this is what's taking place that gives us the context. And then the chapter after that, it will come back and say, okay, now here's what's taking place in that context or in that setting. So we need to know that and we need to look for those things. So we need, it's important for us to know when this is happening. All right. Uh, then uh, the next question I would ask in context, are there related passages of Scripture? Scripture will never contradict Scripture. Uh, if you come up with some kind of a thought about uh, the end time events and it's not in agreement with the rest of Scripture, then your understanding of that end time event is wrong. I, I don't mean to be mean to you. I, I'm not trying to be ugly. But Scripture will not contradict Scripture. Not only that, Scripture will not contradict God's character. Very important that we understand these things. All right, so that, that, those are just some things. There, there's more questions I'm sure we could do to help with gaining the context of a passage. These are things, if I'm studying Scripture, whether it be prophecy or any other Scripture, these are a lot of questions that I ask as I'm looking through. Um, just I, I want to get all the, this, the, the information I can. Uh, if you don't realize this, other than maybe the Proverbs, pretty much most of Scripture uh, is written in sentences that belong to paragraphs. And a lot of those paragraphs belong to chapters, and a lot of those chapters belong to books. And you can back uh, read some things to get context, and then you can also forward read to get some context around that verse. Don't just pull one verse and try to gain an understanding of it. Make sure you compare it with other passages of Scripture. All right, so I've given you rule number one. The top, the highest rule we can have is to, to begin and continue and end in prayer. Second one is context, context, context. And you can make that all one if you want. Uh, the next one I have down here as far as rules to help understand prophecy. Emphasize the main and the plain subjects. I put down here, and this is a, a rule of hermeneutics that a lot of people learn. If the plain sense makes perfect sense, then seek no other sense. Don't try to spiritualize something that doesn't need to be spiritualized. Emphasize the things that God emphasizes. And, and, and if God doesn't put the emphasis on it, then I don't know that that's something we need to be majoring on. It's not that I'm saying don't study it. Emphasize the things God is emphasizing. Let's try to follow His pattern, okay? So understand these things. The main and the plain are, are, are the gist of what we need to understand from it. Uh, then there, you know, uh, in sports casting, okay? Um, not, not that God is like a sports caster, but in sports casting, you have the guy that's there and he kind of drives the facts, the figures, what's going on, the play-by-play. -play. And then you have the color man. You know what I'm talking about, the guy that's the filler. He adds the stuff. And it makes it complete. It makes it, it help us to give it a better understanding. And so God, sometimes He'll give us those main things, the emphasizing things, and then He'll give us some other things that just helps fill it up and help us have a better understanding of it. Be careful that we don't major on the minor things and minor on the major things. We need to gain the emphasis that God puts on it. And understand those things. All right, number whatever we're on, four, rule number four. Understand that prophecy is not always chronological. Okay, so we already talked a little bit about that. If you think in terms of these prophets, even if they had visions, they were seeing things from a, from a perspective of being in time. And they're looking out across time and they're seeing an event that's happening there is not always a perception of distance or the order of events that take place there. Um, and so a lot of times they will give the facts and figures of what's going to happen. There won't always be a real clear understanding of the time frames of them. 
if God didn't give them the time frames, then they usually did not give a time frame and they left that out and just let us know what was going to be happening. Uh, so understand that not everything is chronological in prophecy. Number five, I think it is. Six, we're on whatever we're on. Number five. Uh, it is easier to know when something is symbolic rather than literal. So remember we talked about making sure that we know that the literal things are literal and the symbolic things are symbolic. Here's a couple of general rules of thumb, okay? It's easier for us to know when something is symbolic rather than literal by looking for some keywords that are used to make a comparative description. These keywords could be words like or as. His, his face was white like wool. Okay, that doesn't mean his face was wool. That was the descriptive property, if you will, of what the, the, the author is trying to describe. Um, I know, I think it's Ezekiel that talks about uh, some fiery arrows that come from the north. Well, I'm not saying this is what they are. I'm just saying it could have easily been. Uh, try to go back to Ezekiel's day and describe to him an intercontinental ballistic missile. And what's he going to call it? He's going to call it an, a fiery arrow. He, he's, he, that's the best he knows. He's not familiar with anything. He's, he, the word missile hasn't even been made up yet. Um, so they use words like or as or as it were, maybe the phrase as it were. So look for those key uh, references of giving symbols or descriptions that are comparative. Uh, again, these men are seeing things that may be you and I understand today because they're part of our world today, but they weren't 2,000 years ago. Try to describe a computer to somebody in, in Isaiah's time. Not going to happen. They, they don't understand that. So they use the best terminology they know to describe some of these things. Um, and so that's one of the rules that will help you know if you see the word like, as, as it were. Uh, oftentimes, those are going to be at least comparative descriptions, not saying that they are that, but they're representative of that. And oftentimes can lead to a symbolic type of a, a, a interpretation there. All right? Next number that we're on. Uh, prophecy must, must always be in keeping with the rest of Scripture. Prophecy must always be in keeping with the rest of Scripture. We already talked a little bit about that in our context. It should never disagree with other parts of Scripture. By the way, any of your Bible studies should never disagree with other parts of Scripture. Uh, we've got to be careful of that. Number five, prophecy must also be in keeping with God's character. It must be also in keeping with God's character. I don't know a number whatever we're on. My page says number five, but it started some weird numbering here. So, anyway. All right. Uh, the next number, and we're almost, we've got only like 25 more, so we're, we're getting, we're doing good. Y'all, y'all still with me? Everybody's still there? Okay. All right. Be sure to understand the full meaning of a word as it is used in Scripture. Be sure to understand the full meaning of a word as it is used in Scripture. The psalmist talks about the, the fact that God is a terrible God. We need to know the scriptural use of that word. Because he's not talking about what we think terrible means today. Um, we talked the other day. I used the, the word blessed. It is used different ways. Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it. Psalm 1 talks about blessed is the man. Uh, meaning God's goodness or blessings upon Him. Um, bless the Lord, O my soul, deals with my praise and my worship to Him. 
we need to make sure that we have a thorough understanding of the, the meaning of those words biblically. How is it used in every other area in Scripture? And then, within the context, which of those is how it's used here? Uh, but we need to have a thorough understanding first or we may miss it. We may miss a complete point. Uh, so it's very important that we understand thorough meaning uh, of the words as they are used in Scripture. Uh, by the way, let me just encourage you in this. Um, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, you hear me reference that a lot, uh, has, as far as I know, I, I've, I've been, I think I may have found one word in Scripture that I could not find in that dictionary in all those years I've been using it. It was when the English language was at its height and at its pinnacle. Uh, and it is amazing to me how many times when I go and I'm studying Scripture and I go and I want to find the full emphasis, the full impact of that word and how it was used by the translators when they translated it into English. And I read that in the Webster's 18. It's amazing how many times I go there and the verse I'm actually studying is used to, use, to show the context of what meaning it is. And uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. So if I could give you one tool that will help you greatly in your Bible study, uh, get you, pick you up a Webster's 1828 unabridged uh, dictionary of the English language. It will help you in some of these things. All right. Uh, number seven, know that the goal of interpreting Scripture is not to be unique or to come up with some new thing. I, I'm amazed at how many people... Say, boy, I've been studying Scripture and I can't wait to tell you I found something nobody's ever come up with. That's not our goal for studying Scripture. Our goal for studying Scripture is to get to the full truth as it was intended to be known. What God intended for us to get from that passage. Don't sit here and look at the plain sense of that and say, well, that's what everybody says. I need to come up with something fresh and new. You will be destined to misinterpret that passage. Know that the goal is not to come up with something new or unique. It's simply to find out what is the truth telling me. What is it saying? Okay, so be careful of that because sometimes in studying Scripture, and as you do more of it, there is a natural pull, a human tendency, I guess, maybe, for people to look at you and say, boy, he must really be smart. He came up with something nobody's ever said before, nobody's ever heard before. That's not our goal in studying Scripture. Our goal is to understand the truth. So be careful of those things. Number eight, or number whatever one, do not interpret Scripture in light of personal experience. Do not interpret Scripture in light of personal experience. I've asked men before several times, some men, uh, and I've used the word, are you saved or have you been saved? And they would say, yes, oh yes. I remember I was in that car wreck. I was laying in the ditch, and I was about to die, and I cried out, and God saved me. He kept me alive. That's not what I'm talking about there. They're using a personal experience to try to say that's what God did for me. Um, we've got to be so careful of these things, in, in, not just in prophecy, but in, in any type of Bible study that we do. Don't interpret it based on your experience. Now, does that mean that you cannot apply God's truth to an experience you've had in life? No, I'm not saying that. God's truth can be applied, no doubt. But we don't interpret the truth based on our experience. I'm not a big fan of group discussion Sunday school classes. Uh, Not that I want to be a tyrant and say this is how it is. There is no other. I have opened my door. I've made it very clear to our people 
If you ever think I'm wrong about it, come tell me. Okay, I want to know. But there is a danger in having 25 or 30 people all come to one Scripture and say, this is what it means to me. Because now we begin to have private interpretation of Scripture. And the Bible says that no Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not, it's not to be interpreted in each individual case or by experience. It is the truth. The truth can be applied in many areas of your life. But it is the truth. It is only one. And very important that we understand that. <clears throat> All right, uh, next one. Understand that some rules or commands that are given in Scripture were not necessarily for every person. They were rather for a specific person or a group of a specific, at a specific time and for a specific purpose. You say, Brother Greg, oh, I don't know about that. Okay, uh, what about Abraham? God told him to go sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac. Anybody here God told you to go do that? It was written for a specific time, wasn't it? Uh, what about Samson, told not to cut his hair? Uh, what, what, about, uh, what about Hosea, who's told to go and marry a, a woman of ill repute? And when she cheated on him, to go and take her back and buy her back out of slavery. God ever asked any of us to do any of that? You've got to be careful that we take that that you don't take everything if it is intended for everybody you'll know that by the context and by the agreement with other scriptures do not take a small area of scripture that is used for a specific time for a specific event for a specific purpose and say that applies to everybody it doesn't there are a lot of things in scripture that do apply to everybody but you got to be careful because there are some things that do not and you need to know those. You'll know those by the context and the historical setting and what God is doing in that situation. So, again, praying for wisdom, having the Holy Spirit help guide you. If you ever are in doubt, ask another godly friend that you know studies Scripture. And I'm sure that we can discuss and have those types of, of things and help get them under control. All right. Uh, let's see. Almost done. Two more. Bear in mind that we do not develop doctrine solely on biblical examples but upon Bible commands or instructions. The examples that we have in Scripture I'm thankful for. They're great pictures of the truth and the doctrine, but we don't get our doctrine from the example. We get our doctrine from the truth. The example helps to give clarity, and it helps us to remember them. Uh, be careful that we just do that. All right, next one. Keep in mind, while the Old Testament and the law were given to be a schoolmaster to us, we are not under the law. We are under the New Testament of grace, and we need to be careful of the things that... Um, we, we bring in and we say, okay, this is so because it was so for the Israelites in the Old Testament. I'll be honest with you. I'm not giving up my bacon. Just not going to. Okay? I'm under grace. God knows. All right? Probably not going to give up my ice cream either. So, uh, so just understand those things. So, again, just some rules that we'll kind of follow as we go through uh, to make sure that we stay on track that we do things uh, decently and in order in the way that I believe God intends for us to understand uh, the book of Revelation. It's very, I'm very excited about it. It's an interesting study, and uh, there will be some things we'll bring out, maybe even some current things. There were things that 20 years ago I thought were symbolic that I'm living in a day now where I'm saying they have literally come to pass. And we'll look at some of those. And so I hope that will be helpful to you. All right, let's take 
just a few moments to uh, have our prayer time. Brother Harold, we can probably go ahead and end the stream there soon. I don't know if all the prayer requests need to be uh, broadcast.